So I got a question to start things out here. What are your vacation dream spots? Maybe you've been there, maybe you haven't been there. Those spots that make you, you know, think this is a slice of heaven on earth. So I actually, as you're thinking about that, typed in, I was looking for places that are considered heaven on earth. And here's a list of the top five that I got. All right, you ready? This one right here. This is Plitvice Lakes National Park in Croatia. And this was on a number of different sites that said this is a very beautiful place, apparently. Anybody been there? I have not. Next one. This is Banff National Park in Alberta. Maybe some more people have been this one. This is number two on the list. Number three on the list, Kauai, Hawaii. America makes the list with this one. This is a place deemed like heaven on earth. And number four, this is called the River of Flowers in Holland. Not Holland, Michigan, the country of Holland. And number five, of course, is Lambeau Field in Green Bay, Wisconsin. <laughs> hey, I didn't make the list. But that's what we are going to talk about today as we break down an experience the disciples had where it was a slice of heaven on earth in this Matthew chapter 17 uh, text. So we're going to break this down by verses into four sections here as we go through this. And I wanted to uh, break it down this way just to help explain some things here. So the first ones, Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9 is where I'm at. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. All right, the first two verses there. Jesus' face and clothes, clothes transfigured. A fancy word to say changed into. Into white as light. And, and Megan was explaining to that kids, it's whiter than any kind of white. Brighter than any kind of bright that we can even... Stand, even the sun, brighter than the sun, is what Jesus looked like. And so Jesus indeed was giving Peter, James, and John a picture of heaven with this experience. Because remember, this is experience, this event was specifically for Peter, James, and John to witness so that as things started to unfold, we're getting ready to start Lent as we lead up to Jesus' death and crucifixion and, raising, and rising from the tomb three days later. Things are going to make sense when Jesus rises from the tomb. They're going to remember this as one of those things. And so Jesus did not always manifest his full glory like he did on top of this mountain for his disciples. He could have at any time he wanted to. But on this day, 
boy, did he ever show his glory. And that's why in that Nicene Creed that we just confessed, it says in there, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, light of light. We've been talking a lot about light since Christmas. And Jesus is showing this brightness. And this brightness that Jesus exuded that day showed those three disciples that he is truly the Son of God. Holy, without spot or blemish. Does that remind you of anything when I say that? Holy, without spot or blemish. He is the Lamb of God. So if we were in Peter, James, or John's shoes, let me ask you this question. What would our clothes look like in the bright light of Jesus? Are your clothes looking a little stained? A little filthy, a little torn, a little tattered? Or maybe they're a lot stained. And I'm guessing Peter, James, and John felt that in that moment, being in the presence of the Holy One in all his glory. You know these stains that we all have in our clothes? We all have them. It's a stain that we cannot get out on our own. It doesn't matter what kind of stain lifter there is out there on the market. We cannot get these stains out of our clothes. No matter what, no matter how hard we try, the first thing on your sheet, sin is a permanent stain. Permanent. But this is exactly why Jesus came. He kept the law perfectly on our behalf so that he could, the next point on your sheets, Jesus carried our stained clothes to the cross and washed them clean with his blood. And this is that connection, you know, to the Old Testament. The importance of blood being shed. The life is in the blood. A life had to be taken. There had to be blood shed. That's why Moses threw blood on the people. And I, for one, being a pastor, I'm glad we do not do that anymore. Then you guys would all have stains that could not come out. But that's what they did. This, this atoned of their sin, and now Jesus has come, taking all of our stained clothes to that cross and washing them clean with his very own blood. So let's move on. Verses 3 and 4. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I guess the three disciples wouldn't have a tent. But what in the world are Moses and Elijah doing there? These were two of the superstars of the Old Testament. These are two guys that Peter, James, and John would have definitely had in their top ten list of most important people from Scripture. Moses and Elijah. Moses, of course, what Denny read just a few moments ago is the one that received the law from God, the Ten Commandments. Elijah was a great prophet who never experienced death, by the way. Scripture tells us that he was just taken up into heaven.
before he died. But God had told Moses in the book of Exodus, by the way, in chapter 18, that to tell the people that there is a prophet that is coming that is greater than me, Moses. Because Moses was really lifted high on a pedestal by the children of Israel. But Moses says there's one coming that's greater than I. He's greater than even Elijah or any other prophet in the Old Testament. So all of God's dealings with Israel, what the whole Old Testament is about, and remember, there's not a word written in the Old Testament that isn't pointing us to Jesus and that isn't connected together by that crimson thread. But all of his dealings with Israel, God's whole salvation plan was leading up to this moment, to this exact man. And as the kids said so beautifully before to the question, it's Jesus. So the presence of Moses and Elijah with Jesus would signal to the three disciples that Jesus is the one. The one the scriptures have been talking about. The one that Moses referenced. The one that Elijah talked about. The one that all the prophets were prophesying about. This is the one. That has come. So I have a picture up here of the event. Whoops, sorry, Christian. Jesus would have been even a lot brighter than that. There you can see Peter, James, and John, you know, sitting there in awe. And then Moses and Elijah standing there with Jesus all of a sudden. And they're just basking in this moment. You know, this is an amazing moment that they get to experience that These are the only three disciples that experienced this event. And it was for their benefit. And so they see Jesus, you know, transfigure before them into something brighter than the sun. And then Moses and Elijah appear. And they're talking together, the three of them. And it's at this moment that Peter decides, I need to speak. Can you imagine the guts on this guy? I mean, seriously. I don't think I would be able to speak at this moment. So this this scenario brought up some questions to myself. What was Peter thinking? You know, they have just been given a taste of heaven on earth here. And you know, he got caught up in the moment. Peter wanted to hold on to this moment. He was experiencing heaven, what it's going to be like. Except he decided to make the event about him. He interrupted, remember, Jesus talking to Moses and Elijah. (laughs) Peter, what are you doing? You know, I think maybe we can identify a little bit with Peter. Have you ever spoke before thinking? (laughs) Or maybe you know somebody that likes to do that. They like to stick their foot in their mouth. But how often do you get caught up in life, get caught up in yourself, get caught up in your own mountaintop experiences that you miss God right in front of you. How often do we just get in the way of what God is doing 
Let's move on. So as Peter, you know, was talking, he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. Well, of course. Now God the Father has spoken up because Peter felt the need to interrupt the proceedings. The Father steps in. So let's talk about this a second. The transfiguration is giving us a look of who came, who comes, and who is coming. You know, this cloud was bright to show Jesus was more than a man. He was and is God. And so with the voice of the Father coming in here, saying, this is my Son, with whom I am well pleased, we've heard this statement before from the Father at Jesus' baptism. He said the same thing. Except now he adds on the end, listen to him. He is the one. Not you, Peter. Get out of the way. This is the one. So let's finish this section up here. Verses 7 through 9. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And Jesus told them this because who's going to believe them about what they just saw until the Son of Man finishes what he came to do? Then it'll make more sense. And they can tell everybody, and they did tell everybody, about what they witnessed that day on that mountain. And so as I said before, too early, the transfiguration is, is what it's doing. It's giving us a look at who came, who comes, and who is coming. Jesus. He came. He comes to us still today. And you know what? He's coming back in the flesh. And we will all then experience heaven together with him. And you know, from these verses at the end there, after this event, we see that the disciples, it says in Scripture, see only Jesus. Some more questions. To where do we look for salvation and life? Only Jesus. What is the point of the whole Bible? This one, only Jesus. How do we get to be in heaven and why do we get to be in heaven? You catching on? Only Jesus. Who is able to save us from this sin disease that we all share? Only Jesus, this one. 
And the thing I love about Jesus, and this just shows us again how amazing our Savior is, the words that we get here in Matthew, when it says that Jesus came and touched the disciples on their shoulder because they were freaking out. They have just experienced an amazing event, and now the Father is speaking, and they heard this. You know, Jesus, as I said before, didn't just come back then. He comes to us each and every day, and he is touching you on the shoulder and tells you not to. I left it blank. Because there's lots of things we can put in there. Like worry. Be scared. Be afraid. Fret. Be concerned. Of all the things that life throws at us. No matter what you can put on that line. Jesus is touching you on the shoulder. And telling you, you know what? I've got this. All under control. I have taken care of everything for you because I love you. And that's how amazing our God is. And as we are now moving into the season of Lent, we get to really ponder this. Jesus coming. He came because of our sin. And we get six weeks to ponder that and remind ourselves of how amazing our Savior is, that he came and shed his blood for us. And it's in Jesus' name, amen.